Hello and welcome to The Cine Skinny, the podcast from the people behind The Skinny. It's Jamie Dunn here again and I'm still kicking around Glasgow Film Festival, which is nearing its end, and I thought it would be a good opportunity to catch up with a couple of fellow critics and friends of the pod to discuss what we've all been watching at the festival. So joining me today is Yana Murray. Hi, Yana. Hi. And Rory Dorothy. Hello. Uh, hi, Rory. So, Yana, Rory, you're well known on the podcast. You've made little cameos. Famous. Famous. Um, but maybe you could just start by giving us a little intro and telling us who you're writing for and how, how your festival's going so far. Yeah, um, these days I'm writing for GQ mostly, but I popped up around in Little White Lies, The Skinny of Course, W. And yeah, my festival's been good. It's been a bit weird just because like... I think like the, in the past festivals, I've just been like a uni student, like coming along and I've had like all the time in the world to watch anything and everything. So I've just been like so exhausted by the end, but now I'm like a proper adult, sadly, who has to like have a job and <laughs> doesn't have the time to see as many things. So it's been like pretty relaxed for me. I've seen a couple of really great things, but um, I'm just sad. I wish I'd seen more, but it's, it's been fun to catch up with people. Definitely. That, that's what the public don't know. As a critic, you can't just swan around watching films. We have a really tough. That's what they don't know is that we have maybe the most difficult job in the world. <laughs> really, it's the toughest. But you know, generally, you're you're not just watching films. You're no. writing films. You're running around doing interviews. You're doing all sorts. So yeah, I have about thousands of words of transcription for interviews I've not done that I'm just delaying until <laughs> they combust or something like that. Um, I'm Rory. I You can find me at Flix UK, Paste Magazine, Why Now World, and The Skinny, uh, amongst others. Yeah, it's been good. I've, I'm based in Edinburgh, and I sort of decided to not stay in Glasgow for the whole festival and just come through when I needed to. So I've been watching a lot of stuff on the online platform for press and industry people. But it's nice. I mean, I love I love Glasgow. It's a great festival, so it has just it's felt like it's got a really nice hub, and it's uh, it's been a fun but very very busy sort of festival. I'm now in the period of t- more time is dedicated to work than watching films. Yeah. But last night we did see a film, mm-hmm. yes. uh, and that was a surprise film, uh, which I think is always one of the most anticipated um, traditions of GFF. You know, it's a really kind of fun buzzy screening and as the name suggests it's a screening where the audience don't know what they're going to see they go in absolutely blind um, it's always a tight secret and some years you can actually guess what it is because like, there's always like a big film kind of missing from mm-hmm. the, mm, the programme yeah. but I think last night everybody was a little bit blindsided yeah. by what Definitely. it was so the film was War Pony the debut film from Gina Gamble and Riley Keough did you guys predict we were going to see that one? no we were all just talking about Tetris <laughs> we were talking about. But it was it was a, a proper surprise and a, and a welcome one. I think that it, it starts and you're like, I'm going to work out what this movie is by the credits or the distributor or the names that come up. And then it was a good three or four minutes in and everyone was still like massive question marks over their head. Um, but that meant I just... And then it wasn't until I realised it was War Pony, which I think I'd heard about from Cannes or something like yeah. that until the credits came up at the end and it said War Pony. But yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a welcome surprise. Yeah, I should probably set it up. So War Pony is set in and around the Pine Ridge Native American Reservation in South Dakota and it follows two parallel stories uh, about two young guys from the Native American community. One is Matho, who's about 13, and the other is Bill, who's maybe like 20 
and the film is a very kind of loose narrative following them as they go about kind of various misadventures around town. Um, maybe start with Iana, what did you reckon to this one? The thing is, I had like no idea what the film was until the title card came up at the very end and I was like, oh, this is War Pony and I had heard about it at Cannes but I chose not to see it because my friend Douglas had seen it and told me it was awful so I just skipped it completely at Cannes and um, so now War Pony's just been like forced upon me and I'm fine with that. I appreciated it for what it is and I felt I thought it to be, you know, really immersive and empathetic to these people's struggles. And then realizing it was War Pony and it's directed by Riley Keough and Gina Campbell kind of left a kind of sour taste in my mouth, realizing who the people behind this film were. I think like this kind of just brings up difficult conversations about who can tell other people's stories. And I know that they put so much time and effort into including Native American indigenous voices into the film. From what I've read, rarely met the two writers, Franklin C.O. Bob and Bill Reddy on American Honey, and they're both writers on War Pony. So she's obviously gone through these likes to include indigenous voices, but I think I'm just curious why they felt it was their place to make this film their directorial debut. I'm just a bit, I don't know. Yeah. It is really interesting how the the end of the movie, which is the most basic information about the film, completely reframes what we've we've seen up until that point. Because it is about a lens to which you're watching this and the the way that the Supreme... If that was just regularly programmed, um, it would be a much more conventional way of engaging with this movie. But in a sense, and it's not just that we didn't know what the film going in was, the way that the film is structured, the titles and the director doesn't turn up until the end. Yeah. So we've got through the whole emotional experience before this sort of new lens, which is usually key information, sort of comes in. Yeah, no, totally. Well, I guess, like, the thing about Q is she is part Cherokee, is that right? Like, like I think it's like, eighth. Is that neat? So, so, like, so like it is, like, quite... I mean, I have no idea of what her connection is to this community yeah. um, at all. Um, so that, it was a surprise that this is her first feature, and I think you're totally right. It does ask a lot of questions about, you know, uh, slight colonialism, you know, going into, like, um, telling other people's stories on their behalf, you know. Yeah. Um, and saying all that, I I thought it, it, it was a kind of really immersive, interesting film, and it took me a little while to get into it. I don't know if you felt this, but I felt like the first 20 minutes, it, because it's so diffuse and the, and the narrative is so loose it took you a while to grapple onto who was actually the story was about you know because it's because initially it's a lot of kids kicking around and, and it took me a second to like work out oh it's these two main characters we're going to follow but I think once I got hold of them I kind of really <laughs> enjoyed the film like I, I felt like it was an interesting watch Rory I think especially because the the dialect used is is I, I can imagine very authentic to these communities and sounds, you know, if you if you just go into it blind, sounds, you know, d- d- difficult to grasp onto. Not just what people are saying, because it's it's not like it's hard to follow and or understand what people are saying. But it is a very sort of rich dialect between characters, and it's very well like lived in. And uh, if you are just being put into this this community, uh, there is maybe a bit of whiplash if you know nothing going into it. But 
I agree. I mean, the, again, to saying whether or not how authentic it feels is marred by the fact of how authentic the film actually is in terms of intention. But um, I was really engaged by the characters, by the two different stories. And, and I thought the... I mean, we see, we see a lot now of movies getting unprofessional actors involved in films and I don't know enough about the casting of this process but I did think that both of the lead boys and their supporting sort of ensemble were really well performed and there was a there was genuine like incredibly detailed and layered emotional realities going on to these performances and a lot of it can be communicated either silently as is the case with um Matho but with Bill as well there's it's it's not that he doesn't say what he's feeling is that he says a lot but not exactly reflecting what he's feeling and i thought that was um sort of really well handled i think the nice thing about the film is i think like usually when you see these films that are looking at these communities who are struggling you know economically it can usually be like very punishing i remember like capernaum was a very like difficult film to watch but i didn't think this was the case here i think there were a lot of moments of I wouldn't say joy, but like levity. There's a really like great sequence towards the end set to come and get your love that like just really like elevated the film for me and really up my enjoyment of it. But yeah, I think in that way, they found a good balance of, you know, kind of despair and levity in that sense. Just another interesting point I was thinking about was there's a there's a plot point in the film where Bill is employed by this um this white rancher and his wife to kind of do like odd jobs and then also work on their farm and I think what they're trying to say is you know the way that these white people exploit native labor and then when the credits come up and it's like it's directed by these two white women yeah. very privileged white women you know this granddaughter of Elvis who's never experienced what this kind of reality is like using, you know, native labor to kind of like bolster her directing career. It did just like reframe the entire thing for me, but I don't think that entirely negates the elements of it that I, that I did appreciate. It's so wild that it's literally Elvis's granddaughter in terms of Elvis's history (laughs) with uh, doing a, like whitewashing a lot of diverse talent and labor and, and creativity is thorny at best yeah it's also interesting it's two women as well and I felt one one another major flaw while I was watching the film is the, the women of this community are completely ignored I couldn't mm. name a single female character yeah. it's like it's, it's very much set on these boys but these boys are not well certainly Bill is not doesn't treat the women in his life <laughs> particularly well and there's a whole, a whole sort of subplot about he may be kind of trafficking young women for this white rancher but mm. again the, the fact that none of these women have any agency ha, ha, seem to have a name um, you know, uh, was a was a real choice of them. There's a difference, I suppose, between replicating dynamics that you find in in a in any space in any community and trying to comment on that. And you can do that while also featuring really rich characters who do, as you say, have agency. And it felt like that's when you feel like just the effects of a narrative sidelining characters. Like it's not that this is a unbiased, no story is an unbiased sort of look you are bringing into any storytelling, the biases and the the way you favor some characters and some stories over others. I'd be interested to know what, what, what happened in adaptation there. Because as you say, it's like you, you, these, 
she has a working relationship at least Riley does with these screenwriters and I wonder how they the sort of four of them work together to get this onto the screen yeah so I think it's a film that Leif does all a bit uneasy but uh, it's not without its qualities especially from those young performers like you can't take away those those young kids are great I think. that um, I just wanted to say as well as win- winning the camera door which is like the mm. the award for best first film at Cannes it also won the Palm Dog yeah um which is awarded to the best dog in the whole festival. And I think the poodle in that is, really carries that film. Yeah. <laughs> what was you say? There's a great subplot about Bill. Bill's like a little entrepreneur, isn't he? He's like a little yeah. scrapper who's mm. always trying to get money. Uh, but part of his get-rich-quit scheme is to uh, become like a dog breeder. And he, yeah. gets, he gets like this, this beautiful poodle that he's going to sort of... And, er- and everyone says, this is a terrible idea. And maybe I don't know enough about dog breeding on reservations because I was like, what's the problem? What's that? <laughs> What's the problem with this? Everyone will just have a bunch more poodles, but that's why I'm not an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, so mixed feelings on this one, but I think as a, as a prize film, it's actually quite a bold choice. Yes. It's really, I think that's a really inspired choice because I, I think usually with these surprise films, you tend to go kind of the, like crowd-pleasing mm. genre route. And I was expecting Infinity Pool. I think mm. that's what most people are expecting. So I was really pleasantly surprised just to not get Infinity Pool. Yeah. I think this is, we are at the end of the day talking about being critics with jobs at these festivals. We all are still children who like a shiny surprise and anticipation, <laughs> like it's birthday presents. So it's always nice when we do actually get fully surprised. So that was War Pony. It's out on the 9th of June from Picture House. So uh, yeah, if you, you're interested, you like the sound of that, uh, you can see it then. So another film we've all seen is Sanctuary. Which, which is an interesting one. It's uh, Christopher Abbott and Margaret Qualley star in this kind of kinky two-hander set entirely in a hotel. Abbott plays Hal, who's the heir to a hotel chain, who's become reliant on regular bouts of humiliation from this dominatrix called Rebecca, who's played by Qualley. Um, and she clearly relishes uh, making this tycoon feel like a worm. But because Hal is about to inherit his dad's company, he decides he can't be seen to be doing this anymore. And it turns out this is going to be the last night together and he's trying to fob her off. But Rebecca has other ideas. Now, Rory, because that were you. What did you make of this one? Oh, uh, I thought it was pretty great. Um, I feel like I was I started watching it and I was like, is this the dark universe version of uh, Good Luck to You, Leo Grant? Where this is not about, this is not like a, a sort of nice educational sort of cosy feeling about sex and sex workers in a hotel room. This is the sort of flip side of that where everything's really twisty and in your face and at times unpleasant but I felt like it was genuinely like very erotic I thought the performances and the chemistry were really impressive Uh, I thought that there was a little bit much sort of overcompensating for being in a hotel room so multiple times the camera does like flips and like uh, it's very showy and the visual style can feel a bit jumpy but I thought that genuinely the the film had a really good grasp of an understanding of dramatic power balances and dynamics and it played with those in a really fresh and engaging way which which made it um, just a really satisfying watch oh, yeah. I, I just had such a blast watching it and I feel like in my screening anyway I think it was like the first GFF screening people did not know what they were in for so there were quite a few walkouts when I when I saw it but I always revel when there's a walkout Mm. it makes me feel like a 
proper like sicko who can put up <laughs> put up with anything. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing I really enjoyed about it is like actually there's like little to no sex at all in it despite it being about a dominatrix like everything that is kind of sexual about it is off screen which i thought was a really cool element to it and i think it's funny because um christopher abbott has this other film piercing which has which has like slightly similar premise to it so i wonder if like christopher abbott just has like a thing for like sexual torture or something it's a it's a really fun film i i just had i had such a blast of it if he does, I'm all for it because I, I thought again he was so good in this. And actually, the surprise for me was quality because I I've seen on other things I'm not sort of loved her because I always think she's quite a gangly performance. I don't find her quite nervy. I don't know if that's if you find that she's got a kind of Diane Keaton quality, you know, like yeah. there's something about her that's a bit kind of like gauche in a way. But she was so good at this character because she just flips from being mm. she does she comes in as that kind of gauche. She, she, the setup is she's pretending to be the secretary and she's like a bit nervous but actually she's in complete control she's so cool so calm she's got some great lines I thought she was a real kind of standout if anything I think maybe her and Abbott are a bit better in the script because I feel it could have went a bit deeper into this relationship and why this relationship exists you know it's, it's all kind of quite surface it's a very flashy film really fun to watch but I don't think it goes super deep which which, which would be my own complaint but but I think it really comes alive actually for in the last ten minutes mm. because it kind of flips from being this kind of cat and mouse thriller to actually being almost a romantic comedy. It's so joyous at the end. I, I was think I was thinking that where the the sort of twist in the end it ends on this very ironic like literally like a punchline, and I thought it was it's a great twist to just go very sincere, very earnest because uh, what that shows it's like well have we in being this twisty undercutting sort of power play for the whole film have we built enough of a, an actual core relationship or or dynamic between these two people that we can support just going very sincere and romantic and i think it pulls it off even though it's not a very uh it's not expected or necessarily i think a lot of people would like it just to go quite dark and end on a, on on the sort of twisty fuel that's been coursing through it but i agree with, with in terms of um Bolly, like she, i i was i kind of think i like other performances of her now more after seeing this like i remember seeing stars at noon the claire denis film yeah which 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 got re-appraised by everyone who saw it after can and i Hate, I really hated that film and then after basically after seeing this I was like I kind of see what she was doing like I understand what she's going for how she's been directed and I think it's actually bold so you know I hope she gets famous for other reasons than her mum basically because she's a really really good performer I love the earnestness of the ending like you said just because it kind of issues expectations in that way of where it's going to go there's kind of like this like simmering threat of violence in there as well that doesn't go there and I really appreciate that element of the relationship as well. I think one of the criticisms that I read is that the kind of, it feels like a one-act play in the sense that it all takes place in this hotel room but what I actually really liked about that is just like the energy in there just feels really otherworldly like in the sense that like a hotel like in a hotel room there's kind of like no sense of time or place and I thought that was a really interesting element to throw in the relationship where like you know the pa- the balance of power is really shifted 
And there's also just a sense that like every conversation they have, you don't know if they're being serious or not. Is it part of the game or are they actually talking earnestly about their dynamic? I think it's really interesting, like the the curveball it throws at the beginning where you think she's a secretary and then you actually understand where this is going. And then it's like every conversation after that is like, oh, is this still part of the game that they're playing or mm. what's actually happening here? I think that was just a really fun, yeah, it was just a really fun element of the film where you just really didn't know where it was going to go and every direction it went, you couldn't predict mm. it. Yeah, when I say that the, the script isn't like that deep, it is, it isn't deep, but it's super smart. Like it yeah. has those fake outs and I love those mm. lovely moment where you assume that this has went all off script for, mm. for like the last half hour, but then we get a little glimpse of the script and you're seeing that everything is line by line. This is like all mm. part of the game they're playing, um, which is really fun. To me, it reminds a little bit of Phantom Thread in a strange way. Like, like yes. yes, yes. I think what it's saying is basically in this world, no matter what your little kink is or what your fetish is, there's probably someone out there for you. Yeah. I, think, I think that's a, a nice message. <laughs> I did say that. I said like, I'm happy for these sickos. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. How, they're they're meant for each other, and that is a particularly film language thing of getting you really into people you would not necessarily uh, even not about their sort of sexual preferences but I don't think I'd particularly think a multi-millionaire hotel heir son was was a, was a particularly nice person especially as he treats people not in the sort of sex games of the film but that's how it plums into empathy and we do really understand through this dynamic what they care about and what kind of love they're capable of and you're just like you know I wish you the best you weirdos um, like, and like and it's and there's a lot of films about sex and sexual kink and fetishes or sex work have this framing of like no judgment and this film kind of ends up there but not by espousing that the whole movie I feel like it is about judgment and it is about fear of humiliation and the thrills of humiliation and so by the end it's not we didn't we didn't get to this place of I think affection for these characters we didn't get through it by a lack of judgment but the sort of the the multifaceted nature of judgment is sort of baked into the story. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Sanctuary doesn't have a release date, but I would keep an eye out for it. It's a, it's a fun one. And if you, if you like these two performers, I would say definitely go because they are on top form. So the festival is nearing its end. We've got three more days to go. But we've all seen a big chunk of the festival by now, and I just wanted to maybe catch you to before you leave and see what has been your favourite so far. So, uh, Iana, you want to go first? Yeah, I think, well, like I said earlier, I didn't get to see as much as I wanted to, but one that just became an instant like favourite of the year for me was having to blow up a pipeline. And I know you guys talked about it on the pod before, so I'll just reiterate everything that you said, but... I, I just love that there was such a, this propulsive energy to it and, you know, the way that it builds up tension and then like rips it apart from you with these cliffhangers, I I thought that was just like, it had such an amazing rhythm to it and I think something else I appreciated about it was just how strong in its convictions it was, in its politics. I, it didn't feel both sidesy in that way, in the sense that certain mainstream films could you know play to all four quadrants in that way and I know that this is based on a manifesto book as it was and I think 
it's a really interesting just yeah it's just a really interesting way to approach adaptation I thought it was just so fresh and it's weird because it's kind of like framed as a heist film but it's also like I've never seen a film like this before ever it, it just felt so unique and fresh to me I, I, I really enjoyed it so much and I know you did too I also loved it yeah so um but yeah I, I, I agree it's a it's a really unique way of making a political text in a way where it's not that it's sneaking in these ideas it's wearing them so brazenly and you just end up caring about these motives not because they sit you down and tell you about why all of this is justified but because you feel the how compelling and, and necessary these ideas are through the tension and the empathy of the characters uh, and uh, Rory what, what was in your pick so far? Um, I really love this uh, Japanese film called A Man by uh, Kei uh, Ishikawa um, which I just saw on a whim um, and it's like this it's part of that kind of genre of Japanese type chillers which are kind of like based around a premise of a guy just shows up like uh, Kyoshi Kurosawa's Cure, but also more recent ones like Rage and Harmonium. And in this one, it's like, starts as a domestic drama for a divorcee and her son in rural um, Japan. This new kind of guy turns up, uh, they start a family together, and then after his death, they find out that he was not who he was saying he was. And so a lawyer starts to investigate who the swap kind of mishmashing of... Uh, identities that have been swapped and it, it dwells so much on what defines us what what makes us our identity what we can change about ourselves what we can't change about ourselves the power of faces and, and sort of what lives on in our expression and it and it and it turns from this thriller in the middle part to something genuinely quite tragic by by the end as it sort of fades back to reality and um, it's incredibly well directed and performed uh, so yeah, that's that's one. It's, uh, it's being released by Match Factory's sort of collaboration with Mubi. Oh. So it will be out this year, uh, hopefully. But it's a tremendous uh, film and uh, yeah, definitely a must watch for me. I didn't see it, Ayanna, did you? No, I didn't see it either. But I have heard people are raving about it, so yeah. you're not the only one. Who I know, I'm not alone. We have a review on the skinny if you're interested as well. Any other picks to throw out there? Just quick fire, things you've loved? Um... I wanted to shout out um, When the Waves Are Gone, the Lav Diaz. It's like a big point of shame for me that I'm a Filipina who had never seen a Lav Diaz film oh until now. And the way that GFF were framing this was like, this is the most accessible Lav Diaz film, clocking in at only three hours. <laughs> and it, I mean, it was a pretty breezy three hours and it did feel quite like surprisingly conventional. It's about, it's kind of a two-parter in that they're both about corrupt police officers who are like looking to take revenge on each other. It was like the kind of film that maybe like Martin Scorsese would make or something like that, but in this really proper slow cinema, abstract, lyrical kind of filmmaking. I mean, I'm not familiar with Lav Diaz's work, but I assume that's what his work is usually like. And um, I, I just thought it was really engaging. There are about like, there's like a dozen dance sequences in that movie that are like really fun and really silly and kind of like test your patience. I know I I know there were like people sitting around me like yeah. checking their watches, like when is this guy gonna stop dancing? Um, but yeah, it was just a really like I wouldn't say 
slick, but <laughs> it's a it's a really interesting politically charged crime thriller. I'd say, yeah. I think we ha- I think we share this feeling at festivals, which is if you can sense the audience is openly hostile, it only fuels your enjoyment more. If you like the film, I had that with Memoria and Annie's Main, where it's like, I can feel restlessness and like <laughs> irritation around me. In terms of other films I saw, I think I was really big on like films where I had big time jumps in them. Because between A Man, Really Love Blackberry, but also uh, The Beasts, which has been dis- uh, featured on the skinny at some point before, and Rice Boy, which, and Rice Boy Sleeps, which is about Korean immigrants to Canada in the 90s and sort of a single mother and her son growing up, which is an utterly beautiful, really, really well-crafted and emotionally compelling film that I adored that is up for the Audience Award, so hopefully it will be getting some love from here and beyond, really, but it's a really special work. Those all sound good. One thing I was going to say about Lab Diaz, he, I noticed he was one of the guys who was brought up in that Notorious Guardian article a few weeks ago um, about the length of movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and how, you know, it's a kind of bro kind of macho thing to go and see a Lab Diaz film, which I think is really underserving his films, because I think you're right, they are funny, they, they are kind of like, usually, they are surprising, they aren't just like this kind of slow cinema, they usually have like these kind of interesting elements. So yeah, was it a very broy crowd when you saw it at the Glasgow Film Festival? The broiest I've ever been. <laughs> it was that and the screening of Sanctuary. We both went to. That was the that was a big machismo energy going on. A funny thing that happened actually was um, someone's phone kept going off during the film. I mean, that's not funny. It's irritating. But there was a man sitting behind me, and about like about like the sixth time the phone had pinged, this guy behind me leaned at me and was like, "Can you turn your phone off now, please?" And I was like. It's not me. And and the man was like, he was like the last person I'd expect to be in this kind of film. Like, like, like a film, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're everywhere. Yeah. And we need to keep our, we need to Their keep our wits about broad. us. Their tastes are very broad. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one thing we say that film bros, they have, they're broad church. <laughs> <laughs> And any other comments? Are we done? Is this us? Are we um, the podcast? Someone was talking a lot through Chevalier and then uh, 10 minutes before it ended said loudly, is this is this real? Uh, is this based on a real person? <laughs> is this real? Is this real? Well, I don't think they misunderstood what fiction was. Oh, I think sorry, they were at, I think they didn't understand if this was based on uh, a true story or not. Um, I, I'm going to guess they didn't get the most out of that film. But uh, that's what I miss about in-person uh, festivals is just strange encounters like that in 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 the cinemas that's sort of why we come out yeah another audience highlight for me was um at the first q a for blackberry mm. i wish i could remember the question that this person had now but i think i like, know what the question was they had like the strongest glaswegian yeah. accent and i think the question was like a plot question that had already been answered in the film so everyone was like answering it for Matt Johnson. And after this is all happening, Matt was like, I'm sorry, I did not process a single word of what you said. And I, I, that's just Glasgow. That's just Glasgow. I, I and, and because of how small this festival really is, my uh, someone I crashed with like last week was also at that screening, and she, uh, she was she was able to decipher that the question was about like, what movie nights would you do? Because it's about like a lot in the movie. And she's like, what movie nights would you do? And they're like, well, they're in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I made the movie. He made the movie. He put in the movie what, notes. What movie notes did he do on Blackburn? Well, that would have been a good question, but unfortunately, we can no one could understand. Well. That is the thing about Glasgow. I think Glasgow has actually <laughs> crazy audiences, but really good audiences. Yeah. Always, all, the, all the screens I've been to have been really full. Uh, the audience seems to be really up for it. You know, mm-hmm. and a few nutters is, is fine. That's, that's they're fine. necessary. Yeah, they're necessary. That's the life, that's the that they are the lifeblood of yeah. film festivals. We don't get so many rages over at the Edinburgh Film Festival. It's all a bit more posh and, and polished. But like, yeah, we, we, love, we love a Glasgow rage. Yeah, they do. Okay. I have no comment. <laughs> so that's us. Uh, Rory, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, so for more information uh, on Glasgow Film Festival, head to theskinny.co.uk slash film for our, uh, all our GFF coverage. That's been all from us. See you later. Bye. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's Sterling. That's Sterling work. <laughs> I, I never know how to end the podcast. It's, it's that's when the music comes in. Yeah.